Welcome to the Sales Enablement Society, Stories from the Trenches, where enablement practitioners share their real-world experiences. Get the scoop on what's happening inside sales enablement teams across the global SES member community. Each segment of Stories from the Trenches share the good, the bad, and the ugly practices of corporate sales enablement initiatives learned, what worked, what didn't work, and how obstacles were eliminated by corporate teams and leadership. Sit back, grab a cold one, and join host Paul Butterfield for casual conversations about the wide and varied profession of sales enablement, where there is never a fits-all solution. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Sales Enablement Society Stories from the Trenches. We are, as far as I know, the only exclusive for us, by us format, where we bring on enablement professionals from all over the world to talk about things that we're working on in common, a lot of times we talk about the things that people are doing that are really successful and we can learn from. Sometimes we talk about things that didn't go so well because they can be equally educational. So I'm excited to introduce today's guest. A lot of you are probably familiar with him and may follow him already. Uh, Felix Kruger is our guest. Felix is the uh, chief enablement officer and founder of FFWD, but where most of us probably know him from is as the long running host of the podcast State of Sales Enablement. So Felix, welcome. Appreciate you being here. Paul, thank you so much for having me. I've been a long-time listener uh, of your podcast, and it's great to finally be involved. All right. So, you know the drill. Before we get into the uh, the work stuff, we're going to uh, find out a little bit more about you. It's the Jimmy Kimmel Challenge. All right. So, Jimmy Kimmel's retiring. You've got connections. You're offered his show. Who's your first guest, and why did you bring them on? All right. So, without a doubt, and without even a th- Second thinking about it, uh, it has to be his heirness, Michael Jordan. So I'm a massive mm-hmm. Michael Jordan fan. I've been idolizing this guy uh, since I know what basketball is. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's a human being in the history of mankind that has been as good as uh, what he or she does as Michael Jordan has been at playing basketball. And I think he had a really interesting journey. Uh, I've read his book. I've watched the documentaries, all everything that I could get my hands on. And uh, I think his journey is a really interesting one. And yeah, I would invite him straight away without a doubt. He'd be an amazing guest. I um, I can share more sometime offline if you'd like, but the NBA was a client of mine um, for several years when I did a different sort of consulting in the late 90s. And so you remember those series between the Utah Jazz and the Bulls. Oh. There were a couple of great series in there. Um, I think it was was the 90, 97 series where Michael was so sick. Yeah. Uh, he had the flu. He was So I'm there with the NBA. I'm on site. Um, my pass took me anywhere in the building except for the locker room. And so I'm watching the Bulls come off of the floor to go to their locker room halfway through the game. Michael walked by me maybe within 15 feet and he looked like death warmed over. I mean, it was, you could tell the man was so sick. Watched him come back out. And it's like you said, there's something about this guy because it was as if it was a different person on the floor. As soon as that jump ball went up, You'd never know he was sick, but was having seen him up close and seen him look so, so bad. It was amazing to me. How does he do that? How do you, what is that in someone? You can just overcome any physical challenge and, and, you know, do that. So I remember watching it on TV in Germany. So it's pretty amazing to think that you were actually there and so close up as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a good, they were a good client. Okay. But we're here to talk about not basketball, but enablement. Um, and the topic you proposed is one that I actually was immediately excited about because it's so critical to the success of any enablement program, whether you look at yourself as revenue enablement, sales enablement, 
et cetera, right? And that is how are you managing and what is the relationship like with your key stakeholders? And there's a lot that goes into that. So let's kick off, if you wouldn't mind, just briefly explain the concept of stakeholder management as you look at it in your experience. Yeah, so I, I would start off by saying that stakeholder management is one of the, I think, most underrated skills um, of enablers. You know, we talk about all the technical skills, but uh, why stakeholder management is so important is because uh, sales enablement or revenue enablement or any sort of enablement function hardly any holds formal power within the business, right? So, which means that we are extremely reliant on. Uh, stakeholders being aligned with us and actually supporting mm-hmm. um, our initiatives happening across the business. Yeah, and um, I think the the other aspect to that as well is that um, you might have heard that phrase before, but um, any enablement initiative is a change management initiative in disguise. And yes. uh, I think that is incredibly true. And if you look at the existing body of knowledge around change management, you'll soon realize that it's all about stakeholder management. You know, no matter if it's and the the senior leadership, no matter if it's um, adjacent departments, um, no matter if it's the um, actual uh, stakeholders that are affected by change, um, it's all about people and it's all about stakeholder management. And um, I think um, that if you translate it that way, that is oftentimes an aha moment uh, for enablement leaders when it comes to stakeholder management. And what I've seen talking to enablers pretty much every day of the week and um, also, um, you know, maintaining close relationships with a lot of enablers that have been really successful in their roles for a very long uh, amount of time is that uh, sound stakeholder management and a deliberate effort around stakeholder management is uh, really a key su- success factor for those strategic enablement leaders that have found long-term mm-hmm. success. Yeah, and they, mm-hmm. um, they don't i think a lot of enablers um that might find success early on in their career um underestimate um the re- the relevance or the impact that um stakeholder management has on their success and i do find that sooner or later and in the long run um enablement leaders that are successful um often identify this as one of the key factors of their success i would agree with that and i don't want to just give away you know, stuff we're going to talk about, but yes, uh, and, and especially there are certain functions and leaders of certain functions that I don't believe enablement can really do their job if mm. they don't have those relationships, uh, those, those uh, stakeholder relationships you're referring to. You're doing work, yes, but you're not really fulfilling the purpose if you're not doing it with the right relationship. So that's why I was excited about this. So I'm a, I'm a, you know, we've got folks in the audience that are all over the spectrum, right? Brand new on the job, three years in the job, small companies, large companies. But I think for everyone, it would be helpful uh, with starting with that identification. It's probably not much different than how we teach salespeople to do discovery and do account planning and that sort of thing. But but would love for you to touch on that, right? How do you identify those key stakeholders? Um, and And I like that idea of how do you be intentional? in creating those relationships, because especially at the beginning is probably going to set up how you're seen um, Mm -hmm. during your entire time there. So how do you do it properly? 
Yeah, so I mean, just to, just to give a bit of context, um, you know, like around the what I'm sharing here, um, this is basically a process and a, a thought process that I have to go through over and over again in my work as an enablement consultant because um, it's so many situations where I start working with a new uh, organization and I um, have to get a good idea of the stakeholder environment because if I'm not mm -hmm. deliberate about it, there's no mm -hmm. way I can effectively support that organization and collaborate with those stakeholders. Yeah, so just just to give some background, so that means I have gone through that uh, process that I'm about to share um, several times, and typically. What is worth considering? There are three key buckets of uh, stakeholders. And uh, first of all, there's of course the teams to be enabled. And those are the teams, you know, um, depending on what the remit of enablement is within that respective organization. Um, there could be, you know, the, uh, the sales managers, uh, there could be um, field sales. Um, there could be the SDRs, you know, the, those are the people, the end, end users, so to speak, uh, of any sort of enablement initiative uh, that is going to happen. Yeah, So that, of course, is really um, important to understand. Uh, so you know your target audience within the organization. The second big group that would typically uh, try to map out is the collaborators. So uh, based on um, the people to be enabled, uh, who are the collaborators across the organization and especially the the leadership um, across those different departments that you need to work with in order to make certain initiatives happen. And there could be teams like marketing, there could be mm -hmm. teams like human resources, IT, and the list goes on. You know, there's uh, mm -hmm. there's a as as we uh, spoke about before, there's such a broad range of enablement initiatives and the actual skill contained within the enablement function. Uh, might not always be enough to actually uh, to actually make those initiatives happen. So it really comes down to the skill set contained within those collaborating departments on who you would engage on that front. And then the third okay. big group I would um, always look at is the executive sponsors, right? And um, that might be uh, one person, that might be se several person uh, people, but. Um, Though know, though that's uh, this person, such as the um, in small organizations, most likely the CEO, um, or it could be the chief revenue officer or the VP of sales. Mm -hmm. And those are really the senior leaders that uh, you want to buy in from so they uh, can create alignment across the organization on your behalf as well. So those those are typically the the three buckets that I would be um, looking after. And um, I think specifically for the uh, people that are new starters in organization, I think mm -hmm. they're in a really great position to be deliberate um, in mapping their stakeholder environment because they have the freedom to explore, right, still. They don't have to know it all and they don't have to know um, all the departments in and out. So those initial catch-ups that you would typically do when you start in a new organization um, and to actually understand how the organization is structured and what the... Um, KPIs of the different teams are and what their objectives are, what their challenges are. Those are all conversations early on that can contribute to that stakeholder environment mapping that then comes in beneficial when you actually start trying to align the stakeholders and make enablement initiatives happen for you. I'm a big fan of playing the I'm new here card for as long as you can reasonably <laughs> do it because yeah. you're right. People expect questions. They're usually prepared to, you know, answer them for you, and and that may not come back around. So that's great. Exactly, that's a exactly. great, great point. You know, there is a lot of talk right now about enablement showing 
business impact. And I'm glad to see that because it's needed to happen. I'll just put it that way. Um, some of us came directly from sales leadership into building enablement like myself. And so I really never knew how else to look at it. Um, as a sales leader and a sales rep, I'd sat through more than my share of useless trainings. And so I was determined that anything that I built, I was going to be able to track back to something, right? That we could measure that the salespeople and CS folks would be more successful. But not everybody has a sales background. Not everybody in enablement needs to have a sales background for that matter. Um, and so, so as we're talking about this, um, how can anyone in enablement uh, demonstrate that value and impact of their initiatives? Because you talked about building those intentional relationships with stakeholders, but I think you'd agree that only goes so far. And in the current economy, maybe more so than ever. So, so what should enablement folks be doing now that they have those relationships to start to show value? Yeah, so it's extremely important to make stakeholders part of the planning process. I think that is, um, you know, that is one of the most common pitfalls that I see in enablement initiatives, and mm -hmm. in some cases, unfortunately, even whole enablement functions failing. Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, having those relationships in place, and then involving those stakeholders that you started building relationships with in the planning process is the best way to uh, create alignment and make sure that uh, not only the overarching business strategy is supported um, by the enablement plan but also the um, the individual goals of the departments of those stakeholders that you involve right and uh, yeah i think it is a underutilized uh, stakeholder management tool to um, make them part of the planning process. I think the if you invert it, the worst case scenario would be that you uh, sit in a in a dark room for a few months, uh, develop your entire enablement strategy, and then uh, you share it with the world and go out, right? And that's typically uh, when the stakeholders then look at it and um, ask themselves, why wasn't I involved in this, um, in mm -hmm. this process? You know, who are you to tell me uh, what I should be doing with my resources and so on? And you can completely mitigate that by involving stakeholders in that process. And um, to your question about the business impact, I think that that is the, the groundwork that you need to do. Um, then in terms of the specific steps, it's really important to relate the initiatives to senior leadership goals and priorities mm -hmm. as often as possible. Right. So always ask yourself, based on the insight that you have around um, the the strategic goals of um, senior revenue leadership, how that supports, how each initiative that you develop supports that goal and uh, map it accordingly. You know, and if you don't have the uh, transparency around leadership goals, uh, you should definitely be intentional about sourcing that because um, yeah. anything, any other approach would be a step in the dark from my point of view. I, I and I'm, I'm loving what you said at the beginning of that of that segment where. You know, if you go off in the dark and create enablement, which I, I, I agree with you, that happens sometimes. But how do we even know if we haven't involved those stakeholders? It would be sort of like a, a salesperson. Can you imagine one of our salespeople that we that we work with going off and creating, having a discovery meeting with themselves, right? Yeah. And then, yeah, and then yeah. going and pitching the solution to the prospect. I don't see where it's any different than that, right? Well, Yet it's, it, leaves, it, can, it, leaves, it leaves a lot of yeah. room for chance, right? And, um, it, it, no, it, you know, it really yeah. does. And so, so having that buy-in, I, I do have a question for you. That that I think um, I know I've come up with this, and 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 others may have as well. 
where how do you find that line between getting reasonable amounts of input from those stakeholders, which I'm in agreement with you, you need to do, but also showing leadership and sometimes needing to make the hard decision um, because what they want sometimes may not be the, the the thing that their team needs. Any any tips on that? I think it's extremely important to um, take any sort of uh, politics and any sort of opinions out of that discussion, you know, because mm -hmm. I think that's a... Uh, common pitfall on that front you know as soon as people uh, feel like what you're proposing is supporting your own agenda and is only self-serving uh, i think you can avoid that by um you know always referring back to the um the overarching strategic goals uh, mm -hmm. in those discussions of course it's ideal if senior leadership is also involved uh, mm -hmm. to make sure that there is alignment on that front but then also bring data to the conversation right and uh, make sure that you have either external qualitative research that that you might get your hands on um you know in terms of um, actual customer conversations that you might conduct as part of for example win loss analysis um, any sort of third uh, third party research that might be out there around um, contributing factors to sales effectiveness um, but also then internal data from RevOps, for example, uh, that might shine light on certain issues and sales effectiveness that, that you might come across. So um, having that focus on data and insights rather than making it feel like you're just playing politics and you just support your own agenda um, is my preferred approach to actually break down those barriers and to have like just mm -hmm. sound conversations around how how do, how do we make this work how do we make this work for the business and how mm -hmm. we can we align our resources for the benefit of the overarching strategy we've been talking all around the concept of communication but let's let's focus directly on it for for a couple of minutes um what role should well i think we've talked about what role communication should play but what how about effective Right. What what does effective communication look like, and and what specific recommendations do you have based on what you've seen? I think effective communication is extremely important. You know, we stakeholder management or effective stakeholder management is not possible without communication. And you know, one of the tools that come up over and over again, and I can also only advocate for and vouch for based based on my experience as an effective. A communication tool is the enablement charter, right? And uh, developing that charter com uh, collaboratively with all the key stakeholders as early as possible um, is a great uh, tool to open up communication channels and discussions uh, on a recurring basis, right? So um, the, the conversation happens around the initial development of the charter where you clarify um, you know, what enablement does as part of the organization, uh, who it's serving, um, what sort of services are involved, uh, who the collaborators are, what the goals are, and so on. And uh, this uh, approach to actually developing a charter collaboratively with your charter partners mm -hmm. is a really great way to um, open up conversations um, around those different areas that are otherwise uh, completely in the dark, right? And, and those, those things oftentimes are then overlooked and assumed to be true. Um, but you don't know if those things are actually valid or those assumptions are valid unless you actually have that conversation. So I would say the charter should be the foundation for uh, all communication around uh, the enablement function. And then I think it's a um, it's important to also realize that the charter should be a living document and you should 
create as many situations as possible to iterate on the charter and to update it um, according mm -hmm. to the latest structure of the organization around the latest market dynamics uh, around the latest resourcing across the collab collaborating teams and um, always use the charter as a reference point and uh, one of the ways uh, to actually create that that forum for ongoing communication and ongoing updates um, is a, a format uh, which I call the Sales Enablement Advisory Board, mm -hmm. uh, which is a you know a regular meeting that is being conducted, which is a, um, a meeting that combines all the key stakeholders involved in ongoing conversations around enablement, and that really gives everybody a voice in the conversation, and also always gives a opportunity to update uh, the charter according to the latest requirements. So those are kind of the the two approaches that I would generally share. Of course, there also has to be room for communication on an ad hoc basis uh, based on yeah. certain initiatives that are running uh, that I don't want to discount. But uh, just on a meta level, um, those are kind of the, the, the two key communication channels that I would recommend. Yeah, I, I agree. You need that ad hoc communication. But if you don't have something like you're describing planned, it often gets missed. Just mm. in the just in the the fury of the business and and everyone running as hard as they can to achieve the same goals and um, yeah so scheduling that I would agree is critical it might be helpful for folks maybe share a couple examples of the the types of um, people you would invite to your enablement advisory board what roles might they be in it fully depends on the organization that you're dealing with but again it makes sense to refer back to those three key stakeholder groups um, you know the people to be enabled, the collaborators and the senior executive sponsors, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, from from a point of view, like the people to be enabled, uh, that would be uh, most likely the um, the frontline sales managers or mm -hmm. uh, certain representatives of frontline sales management, depending on the size of the organization, uh, to make sure that they're part of the conversation and they uh, feel a degree of ownership, uh, which is extremely important, as we all know. Um, in terms of actually implementing enablement initiatives and scaling enablement efforts uh, from a collaborator point of view. Those are really the, the key departments that are involved in an ongoing basis. Um, you know, for example, um, if you uh, conduct initiatives around uh, buyer engagement content or sales support mm -hmm. content, marketing is a typical collaborator. And in that case, mm -hmm. um, the, the most senior marketing leader um, uh, that is responsible for resourcing and ha has a say in terms of how resources are allocated would be mm -hmm. the recommended uh, person there. Uh, when it comes to, for example, redesigning the, the hiring process, uh, a, a partner like Human Resources, for example, uh, would be a typical, typical collaborator. But um, yeah, just uh, th there can be a lot of variation, as I alluded to earlier, in terms of the mm -hmm. sort of stakeholders um, from the collaborator bucket. Uh, mm -hmm. But um, from a, the third bucket was the senior executive sponsor and um, the senior executive sponsor or a, a close, um, a, a direct report of the um, senior executive sponsor that has, um, you know, somebody like a chief of staff, for example, um, would mm -hmm. be somebody that should be present always to make sure that that ongoing alignment is maintained and there's a certain degree of visibility um, around what is happening in enablement right now. So those are kind of the the typical uh, roles involved. But again, uh, as I said before, and I always have to add this disclaimer, this might vary wildly depending on your organization, the structure and the remit of enablement. Right. No, that makes sense. Your mileage may vary. In other words. <laughs> That's right. So, okay. All right. 
one of the benefits of being around any uh, profession for a while is you learn what not to do. So let's uh, let's see if there's a couple of pitfalls that maybe you've encountered that you can uh, warn some of our listeners about. What should they be looking out for? I think the biggest uh, pitfall to avoid is not to answer the question for your stakeholders, what's in it for me? Because that at the end of the day um, is the determining factor whether somebody will play ball or not, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, departments have their own goals, you know, um, in, individuals have their own goals and uh, not supporting those in some shape or form um, is sure that there won't be any time spent supporting your enablement function, right? So always answer that question. And um, typically when you have the conversation around um, the overall strategic goals, how that department that you're collaborating with uh, feeds into those strategic goals, that's typically a a good way to find common ground and uh, to answer okay. that question you know so okay. how do we create a the maximum impact uh, for the um, strategic goals of the organization and how can we make sure that your department contributes as effectively as possible and how can can we also make sure that you are seen as being a key contributor in making that strategy happen right so those those are typically the starting points for that conversation uh, I think the other pitfall to avoid, especially for uh, people that haven't operated on a senior level before, is not to see yourself as a peer to senior leaders, right? If you see yourself as a nuance, a nuance, and uh, if you see yourself not being a peer of those senior department leaders and the senior executive uh, mm-hmm. sponsors, uh, then you automatically uh, come across that way, right? And um, people... Right, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You you have to have that self understanding of being a peer. Okay, we're right. sitting here on a table. We're trying to achieve something together. Uh, let's right. work on this together. If you're just a little self enablement person in the corner, um, you know, afraid to speak up and uh, having those tough conversations, um, it is a major pitfall when it comes to alignment. And um, I agree. If if you still struggle with that uh, imposter syndrome. And if you haven't created that self-understanding of being a peer of those senior leaders across the organization, uh, I can only recommend overcoming that as quickly as possible um, Mm -hmm. if you want to be successful in your stakeholder management efforts as well. I don't think I could agree with that any any further. Again, I think about how we talk to our salespeople. It's the same thing. If they they act like um, the prospect's doing them a favor from the very beginning of the relationship, they're setting themselves up for a really painful negotiation down the road, assuming they even right. get that far. And 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 and, it's, and I agree with you; it's the same thing. And what I tell salespeople is: look, if you have, if you know your product, you know your market, you know your IS, ICPs, and you've honed your craft as a seller, you are bringing value, and you should not feel any differently than that. And it's the same with the enablement folks. All the things that you have mentioned up till now: having a charter, the communication, getting input should put you, if you've done that, you should feel confident that you are bringing value to those relationships. Um, sometimes I realize it's easy to say hard to do, but got to find a way to do it. And I think sometimes just speaking up in executive settings, uh, even if you you know skin your knees a couple of times, sometimes that's the only way to get better at something is to to put yourself out there and do it. Any other pitfalls to be aware of? The last point I want to mention is the lack of focus in communication and yeah. okay. um, execution. Sorry. Okay. No, go yeah. ahead. I'm disagreeing yeah. with you. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so the last point I want to mention is the uh, lack of focus and communication and execution. Um, I think focus is a luxury, especially in large organizations. And uh, being focused in your communication, um, being really to the point in your communication with your stakeholders and really focus on the goals um, will signal to everybody that you are focused on making those things happen that you set out to do and that you're not there to fiddle around the, the edges. You know, like you're really there to uh, generate results and uh, that should be reflected in the way you communicate. In terms of the execution, uh, another pitfall that I come across over and over again, especially uh, in well-resourced organizations that are new to enablement, they oftentimes uh, bite off more than they can chew, right? And they get all excited about enablement, everybody buys in, and uh, that oftentimes leads to them attempting to boil the ocean, right? And what I mean by that is that they then suddenly um, plan for enablement uh, to be the, a major transformation driver for the organization, which mm -hmm. then means that they look after 10 different initiatives at the same time, right? With enablement just starting out. And I think that is a lack of focus and then typically leads to none of the initiatives really truly creating an impact. Uh, people get sidetracked all the time because there's too much to juggle. Uh, stakeholders don't know uh, where to focus those contributing resources. And then at the end of the day, um, the senior leadership then comes to the conclusion that enablement wasn't for our organization. And unfortunately, now that we have to cut costs, um, it doesn't really make sense for to invest further. And um, I think that focus is one of the key values that enablement can really bring to the table in those complex stakeholder environments as well. Everybody loves a great success story. Share one with us. When have you seen things you're talking about done really well and, and, and what were the outcomes? Yeah, so I, one of the recent projects uh, that I ran with a client of the UK comes to mind where um, we were doing a top perform analysis um, for the purpose of then um, kicking off other initiatives. You know, So the top perform analysis, uh, which means identifying the best practices that set top performers um, apart from the mid performers uh, can be used in so many different ways, like um, the onboarding program, um, the general training offering. Um, and it can be used in the content development um, to create self-support content, uh, buyer engagement content, and so on. So um, we embarked on that journey of conducting a top perform analysis and then translating those insights into all those different initiatives. And um, I, as part of this project, I initially engaged the um, enablement leader of that organization as a consulting partner. And um, we first um, you know, identified the objectives, um, how we wanted to approach that project. And then we did the rounds and um, ran this past the frontline sales um, leadership, so frontline sales managers, um, and also the, the revenue leadership, so the frontline sales managers across North America, and Europe were involved. And we also involved um, the chief revenue officer um, to get sign off on the approach. Um, during those meetings, there were some some, some uh, practicalities that we um, mm -hmm. identified in in that weren't feasible um, as part of the approach that we initially developed. So we modified them um, instantly and um, accommodated uh, for those difficulties, which then. Uh, made it a better approach, right? But at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of involving stakeholders in the planning approach, that also made everybody feel like they, they're they part of the initiatives and made feel like they had a certain degree of ownership in this initiative because they contributed to the approach. 
we then actually executed the project. So we uh, did those top perform analysis, interviews, mm-hmm. um, and uh, data analysis across the different sales teams. Uh, we interviewed all those partners. Um, again, which um, also increased the degree of perceived ownership um, of sales reps across those different formats that would then be developed in the follow-up. So they feel like they've contributed to training being developed. They contributed or they feel like they contributed to uh, effective onboarding programs being developed, uh, which also has value in itself. And then once we uh, captured all this information and started to synthesize the insights, uh, we then again engage the frontline sales managers and mm-hmm. the revenue leadership in presenting the results and also then sharing on how we plan on uh, using those, those insights and um, those results that we have uh, captured in those follow-up initiatives, right? So that's, this was the cadence uh, that we developed and um, the, the sort of results that we have seen on the back of it was, as I mentioned, uh, the the level of buy-in um, was was really great. So everybody f- uh, was excited about the initiative. Everybody understand what we're trying to achieve. Uh, there was a great degree of transparency. There was a great degree of engagement across all those different stakeholders um, that we engaged. Uh, there was a lot of resourcing being allocated to make those follow-up initiatives happen, um, also mm-hmm. with uh, ex- internal resources and external vendors as well. And um, then on top of that, um, we've also seen uh, you know revenue impacts um, on the back of that initiative as well, which was obviously one of the the KPIs that we had developed, um, because the the one of the key teams to be enabled, um, referring back to those three buckets that I outlined earlier, um, was the SMB sales team, and okay. uh, they had seen an increase in deal size on the back of this project of forty percent. Right, so wow. there was a very tangible um, impact of that. And I couldn't have asked for a better project, um, you know, in terms of the the impact on the stakeholders as well as the business impact. And, uh, you know, apart from the actual execution, which obviously requires uh, subject matter expertise and certain skills, um, mm-hmm. I would say stakeholder management was one of the key factors in the success of that initiative. Those are great results. Whether you're a SaaS organization, no matter what kind of sale it is, 40% increase in, in deal size. Um, mm. Yeah, that's going to get people's attention and Absolutely. probably helped a lot of salespeople take home bigger checks, which is always a nice part of what we get to do <laughs> as well. Right. So that's right. All right. Well, let's, uh, I, I, I want to give, um, before we go, let's just one more thing. Um, just at, at thinking back on what we've talked about or even in general, and what are, what are some pro tips that you think our audience would benefit from with driving stakeholder engagement and managing those relationships and the things we've been talking about. The best way to become better at stakeholder management is to be intentional about it and mm-hmm. um, to really um, create that focus. You know, um, I think when I think back to early on in my career, uh, stakeholder management was kind of like a necessity and was something that um, was happening as a side effect of uh, me trying to do my work as as well as possible. I do believe that it is worthwhile looking at it as a as, as a stream that runs simultaneously to the skills that you're trying to develop, to develop right? So you develop those mm-hmm. technical skills as mm-hmm. part of your enablement role. Um, stakeholder management is the second big, big bucket that you need to look after. And it is worthwhile really being intentional um, as quickly as possible um, about it. And I think, um, you know, there's, there's uh, two ways you can uh, be intentional about it. Um, one, I would say, is 
uh, to learn about robust change management approaches. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of that might be uh, seeking out resources like this podcast um, or also uh, looking into uh, books. And in terms of the change management, uh, the best change management uh, book that I have come across um, is uh, Better Change uh, by the PwC uh, change management team. Um, this book is not in print anymore, so you have to get a used copy, um, but it is still one of the uh, best books I've come across. Um, and then on top of that, um, I think it is also important for enablers to really seek out uh, coaching, you know, like to really think through um, life situations that they're dealing with right now um, to, to really establish the best approach, right? There's only so many scenarios that you can read about and come up with um, in your own mind uh, without being in that situation. And a coach or a mentor can really help you to think through those situations and may maybe also uh, share insights into similar situations he or she has encountered. So those are kind of the two things I would recommend um, everybody look into to become intentional about stakeholder management. Thank you, Felix. This has been a really strong conversation. And what I mean by that is, you know, what, what we're always trying to do on this podcast is give people very specific, actionable things that they can go and take and incorporate into their business. And you've done that quite, uh, given them quite a bit to think about and talk on. If people have questions or they'd like to follow up, uh, is LinkedIn the best way to reach out and connect with you? Yeah, LinkedIn. I um, that's my second life. Uh, <laughs> I'm always on LinkedIn, <laughs> so uh, reach out to me at uh, Felix Kruger um, of FFWD, and um, you can also find us on FF, uh, goffwd.com, uh, uh, which is my website. And um, yeah, I would also encourage you to uh, to listen to the State of Sales Enablement podcast, where I interview great people like Paul Butterfield. So um, yeah, please, please make sure to tune in if you get a chance. All right. Well, thank you again, Felix. And th thank you, everybody, for just investing another uh, half hour of your time with us. We appreciate it. You're why we do this. And we'll see you again in two weeks with a new guest and a new topic. See you, everybody. Thanks for joining this episode of Stories from the Trenches. For more sales enablement resources, be sure to join the Sales Enablement Society at sesociety.org. That's S-E-S-O-C-I-E-T-Y dot O-R-G.